Welcome to Growing Bolder, a new podcast that celebrates the wonderful ways people are living life after 50. I'm your host, Linda Robson, and over the next six episodes, I'll be chatting to people who have all found a new lease of life, pursuing inspiring and entertaining passions and pastimes. This podcast is brought to you by Zesty Life, life insurance for the over 50s without the weight, so you can get on with something more interesting. Today I'm welcoming Lynn Ruth Miller onto Growing Boulder. Lynn took up stand-up comedy in her 70s and is still on the circuit today, performing at the age of 86. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Linda. It's so Hello. lovely. I am 87. I am not 87. 87. <laughs> well, you look more 86. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Now, I'm fascinated by your story and can't wait to hear more from you. How are you, first of all? Inoculations, so I'm feeling very strong and mighty. Um, how did you feel when you had your inoculation? Because when I had mine, I just thought, oh, it felt amazing because I thought this is the beginning of the end of all of this. Yes, that's what I thought too. But I had I had a reaction to both of them because I had the virus in March. My God, do you realize it's a year ago? Oh, don't. Honestly, it's like it's the worst year of everyone's lives, I think. Mm-hmm. What was life like before comedy? What was your job previously? It, I am a failure. I always start off by saying, I am a failure trying to be a success. And that is the story of my life. A a little failure, absolutely sure she could be a success. And I started out as an elementary school teacher and I loved it. I loved it. Oh God, I loved those children. I absolutely loved it. Seven-year-olds. I loved it. But then I I got a television show on uh, CBS. It was called The Little Playhouse. And I thought, well, maybe that's where my future is. So I got a master's degree in creative arts for children. And the, when I got the master's degree, the principal of the school, uh, whose name was Marjorie Slayton, thought that because I got the master's degree, I wanted her job. So she pushed me into a, a very inconvenient school. And then I, so I became a secretary because I didn't want to do that. It was a school that was, it was an inner city difficult school and I didn't want to do it. I wanted to stay where I was. And so I became a secretary. I was my father's secretary. And um, I liked that. And then I married. And that lasted for three months. And then I decided, all right, uh, this is a difficult thing that people should know. Um, you know in your heart what you love to do. But sometimes it doesn't feel practical. And what I love to do always was right. Always. But it didn't feel very practical. So I did became a teacher. And then when my teaching career was truncated, I decided, all right, I'm going to do what I really love. But because common sense also worked for me, I was 30. I decided I can't just major in creative writing, which is what I wanted to do. I'll do journalism. tell me, how did you get to where you are today? I started when I was 70 uh, because I'm a journalist and I wanted to write a story about a comedy college. But you have to understand my generation. I did not know that stand-up comedy was a career. So I thought the comedy college was ridiculous. You know, I went to college, but certainly not for comedy. I went for literature. I went for education. I went comedy. And so I wanted to write a story about it. 
And I wanted to show that these people were taking advantage of youngsters by telling them they were going to teach them something I didn't think you can teach. And I still have that sense. People have to have a sense of funny. And I believe that it is more common in minorities because humor is a way of coping. I think, I often think, despite the industry's uh, scorn of women, I think that women are, are very often funnier as people, just funny conversationalists than men. And I know the industry is predominantly male, but uh, when you think back as who was the funniest person in your house, I don't know about you, but it was my mother. It was mine too. She had... She had no sense of humor. She didn't laugh at anything, but we, could, we couldn't help laughing at her. She hated us laughing at her as well. <laughs> now, that ruins my theory because my theory is if you're miserable, you can cope with it two ways, by being more miserable or by uh, making fun of it. And my mother, who was miserable, <laughs> made fun of her situation and the rest of us who controlled her, she thought. Uh, but she was the funnier one. My father appreciated comedy, but he was not, he was not particularly funny. He didn't come up with funny remarks or, or observations, which is funny uh, because I've always thought that I, I took after my, my father more than my mother, but I ended up doing what my mother does is, you know, I make funny remarks about, about <laughs> my situation. But in any case, when I took this course, I was 70 years old and I was in California. I was driving and I really had nothing else to do at night. It's not like young people when they take up stand-up comedy. They're putting aside something else to go do an open mic or go do a, a, a gig. I had nothing else to do. I thought, well, why not? So that's how it all happened. And one led to another. I used to go to the Edinburgh Festival as a reporter for years. So I, so I knew about it. And I thought, what a good place to do comedy. But it was really and truly something to do. Like some people knit, you know. I thought, well, why not? I think I'd rather knit than do stand-up comedy. Now I'm an actress and a presenter, but the thought of doing stand-up comedy absolutely petrifies me. In case nobody laughs, <laughs> they often don't. No, they often don't. <laughs> and uh, there's a uh, Amy Schumer is uh, was there for my audition. And I was, and what happens when you tell a joke and they don't laugh just like that, you speed up, you go into the next one. And she said to me, don't ever do that. You stop and wait. And that tells them you're doing something funny. You said something funny because stand-up comedy audiences want to laugh. You need to understand that you're going, you're not going. When I lectured, I lectured as a professor. They didn't particularly want to learn, but I was grading them. Stand-up comedians, stand-up audiences want to laugh, and they're usually a little greased. They've had a little bit of uh, alcohol. They want to have fun, and they want to laugh, and you've got everything going for you. But the difference between lecturing, which I did for years, and uh, telling jokes is that when you lecture, you grade the people listening when you tell jokes, the people listening grade you. And one of the things I love is if you've done a good job and they, they love you and they'll follow you out the door telling you how much they love you. And I am a single 87-year-old woman 
that has no children and no relationships. There's nothing like having a bunch of young people follow me out the door, telling me how much they love me. I think my fear stemmed from going to the comedy store years ago and watching people getting up and doing their routines and being booed off the stage. Oh, you went to – now, that makes me angry. That made was me angry. I felt show. so sorry for him, yeah. And this is what happened. I called the woman who's in charge, and I said to her, how can you work for anything so atavistic? That is a disgusting thing. I saw this young man – it's the gong show. And for people that are listening, if you don't know, you get five minutes and the and then audience gong you off. Gets, to, gets to get rid of you. And the audience is there to get rid of you. And I saw this young man and he was really young, maybe 18, 19, in a suit, ready for his moment of fame. And he was Going over his five minutes, you could see him writing and crossing out, writing and crossing out. And when he got up there, because he was wearing a suit, they booed him. Oh, he no. never got a chance to say the set at all. Oh, he got the just free- cruel, yeah. Horrible. And, and I was absolutely furious. And I, I, because to do that to that child, which he didn't think he was a child, but he was truncated a career before it even began. And if if stand-up comedy is for you, you know. I knew the minute I took that microphone, I knew, my God, I love this. I've done a million things, and I've loved every job I've done, had, every single job. But someone said to me, but what's the difference between this and stand-up? Stand-up is my life. The minute I got up there, I thought, I need to, this is where I need to be. What would you say is one of your most memorable moments from one of your shows? When I do the stand in Glasgow, you have to understand that I can't understand a word anybody's saying. No, no. and I can't understand. And inevitably, after the show, the young girls will come up to me and say, let's go clubbing. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's after midnight at the stand. I'm thinking, no, I want to go to bed. <laughs> let's go clubbing as if I were one of the girls. That's memorable. I also do cabaret. And I was doing, and I was doing a cabaret. It was the one about um, my mother and the difficulties that I had with my mother uh, which I believe gave me the strength. I believe I, uh, it, the, my, my childhood gave me the strength uh, to do the things that I'm doing because I had to fight all the time for recognition. And as I was doing this, I was talking about something that she had said that, uh, that was unreasonable. This young woman in the front row began to cry. And the two of us were crying together as I was doing that show. But the point of it was I touched her heart. Oh. She's, she said, there's someone that's gone through what I've gone through, and she's come out the other side. I can come out the other side also. Comedians do you admire? There are many here that I admire. Uh, Tiff Stevenson, I think, is wonderful. And what she has done 
what she has done for uh, women with her her very feminist, very upfront approach of the way people are talking is is beautiful. I have immense respect for her. Um, I have, uh, I but most of my the comedians that I absolutely love are dead. It's Joan Rivers, uh, Miller. I love them. Uh, they're they're wonderful. Uh, there's a woman named Eleanor Tierner. Tieran. She's marvelous. That she's on the car. Oh, she's so funny. There's a man who imitates an older woman. So this is the difference. I am an older woman. When I get up there, they know I'm I'm 87. I'm talking about. But this man is Sal Bernstein is his stage name, and he's decided his older man is now 89. Because I'm getting too old. I was getting, I was, he was always older than I, but now he's 89. And he is very funny, but I object because, and I object to many of my uh, jokes as well, because we've got to stop making fun of older people. And this is why I believe that old is a dirty word. People will say to me, you don't look 87, and they think it's a compliment. It is not. I've worked 87 years to get where I am, and it's been an uphill battle. I This is what 87 looks like. That's it. And my jokes are um, that at my age, the police are always so happy to help me across the street, even when I don't want to go across oh, no. the street. We need to respect the human, con- the, 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 the elder condition. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of other cultures do, but a lot of the time in our culture, they don't really respect the elders. And that's a shame. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't get angry at a three or four year old that's walking slowly, but you do to an 80 year old that's walking slowly and holding you up. I always start my my comedy with um, I don't know whether you're allowed four letter words, but I always start this, my comedy with "Hello, I'm the bitch that takes your seat on the bus," um, <laughs> because I know they think. Um, I, how many times have you gotten on a bus and you see these young thirty and forty year olds hiding behind their paper because they won't give you a seat? But if a child walks on, they will get up right away. Yeah. To let the little one sit down who doesn't need to. I know, yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I've been given two that are absolutely wonderful. One was when I was getting married the first time, and the doctor said to me, always show respect for one another. And I carry that to all people. Always show respect. And the other bit of advice, which is pretty difficult at 87, was when I began my journalism career. I went to Stanford University. I was 30. I was old for them. And I had quite an uphill road to get my undergraduate and graduate requirements to graduate. And I had by that time been married twice and knew that I was going to be my sole support. That was in 1963. Men were predominant. They did not hire women of 30 because they thought I would run away and get pregnant. And the bit of advice I got 
was doing, and I, and I was saying to uh, a friend of mine, his name was David, and I said, so much work that I've got to do, so many things I have to do. And he said, when you think about what you want in life, don't think about where you are now. Think about where you want to go in 10 years and build for that. Now, you moved to the UK age 80. What do you love most about it here? About about the UK? Yeah. They're um, much more accepting. The English love eccentric old ladies. Yeah. <laughs> they love eccentric old ladies. So I've got that advantage. But I'm the novelty act. How do you think you've managed in lockdown? Has it been really difficult for you? Uh, no. And that's because everything is in my head. I've gotten the book out. I do my walks. Also, you have to think about my life. I'm afraid of nothing. I mean nothing. It's already happened to me once. At one point in my life, it's happened to me once. I lived through the Asian flu. I lived through scarlet fever. I lived through the polio epidemic. I lived through whatever it's going to be, I can cope. And I had the virus in March, last March. So I was not particularly afraid. And I was saddened by the immense fear that I see. Immense fear. Some of it justified. Some of it I'm not so sure. But I know that you've got to live your life the best way you can. And comedy has been online. Comedy has gone online. So I've done comedy online. I do not like it, but it's a new art. It's not the same. When you do comedy in front of a, an audience, it's, it's, it's got three prongs. Set up, punch, laugh. Da, 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 da. Mm. Set up, punch, laugh. When you do it online, it's set up, punch, pause, set up, punch, pause. So it's a new kind of comedy. Do you think your age influences your approach to comedy and the jokes you deliver? Definitely. I tell the jokes. I tell jokes to make them laugh. And what I object to and what I'm trying not to do is tell too many jokes that denigrate the older situation. But you can't help. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a wonderful one. Old men. You know what they want. They all want the same thing, sleep. It's the truth. <laughs> it is true. I know, yeah. I sat down to my evening meal. It was three in the afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it's that kind of thing. You can't help but make fun of it. But my comedy is um, pretty well based uh, on anger. Yeah. I don't like ageism. I don't like sexism. It's hard enough to master a craft. Well, I look forward to seeing you doing some of your stand-up. Can you find you online? You can find me everywhere. Oh, can you? <laughs> I'm on Instagram. I'm online. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing an Instagram thing shortly. Okay. Uh, I really appreciate people allowing me to to make my defense for the for older people and for women because I believe we need an equal playing field. I noticed when I went to Japan how the elderly people there are like looked upon as like, you know, gods. It's like they're, they're living with their families. They're treated really well. And it's a shame sometimes here that we don't do the same. 
Yes, it is. It's, it's yes. But I think we're getting there. This is the thing. I have a wonderful friend in Germany and, and we were talking about how the attitudes, how, how conservative the world seems to be going. And she said to me, no, no. She said, there are groups and groups of people insisting upon making it better. Yeah. And, and, I believe in that. I believe in these groups. Mm -hmm. I believe in this little girl, Greta Thorn. I always get her last name wrong, Thornburg or whatever it is. I believe in this little girl that's telling everyone, don't be, don't be childish. You're destroying our environment. A little girl. What is it they say? A child will lead the way. I believe in these groups of women that are saying, yes, we want a voice. We've got a voice. It's valid. I believe in all the men that are trying to support us. I believe in that. I believe in supporting men who we've completely confused. They don't know what they can do and what they can't do. We're in a transition period. Yeah. And yeah. we're getting there. Mm -hmm. I believe fully that we're getting there. Lynn, so what advice would you give to someone older that's thinking of taking on a big challenge? I say do it. Uh, do it. You're going to find that you won't, it won't be the same road you would have taken when you were 20. Uh, it, you'll find it'll be different. And I will tell you a story very quickly about a man who was in his 80s and was very crippled by his arthritis and his sciatica. And he went to the doctor and the doctor said, I think I need to do major surgery on you. And the man said, no, I'm going to take up ballet. Honestly. <laughs> and he is, well, at the time I heard the story, which was yeah. 10, 15 years ago, he was dancing in major companies, oh, but fantastic. he was not dancing like ballerina as a man. Rudolph no way. No <laughs> he wasn't dancing like him. He was dancing like an old man. Be the person you are, but go after it. Go after it. You can do it your way. It's the Frank Sinatra thing. You'll do it your way and you will develop the talent. Well, on that note, it's been absolutely fantastic. Honestly, I've loved every minute of it. So there you have it, folks. Lynn Ruth Miller performing in her 80s, an actual comedy legend. Hope you love listening as much as I did chatting to her. Thank you very much, Lynn. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Growing Boulder has been brought to you by Zesty Life, the only over 50s life insurance provider with no waiting period. So what are you waiting for? Get your life insurance sorted out so you can get on with something more interesting. Visit ZestyLife.com or call the team for free on 0800 150 to get covered in minutes. Thanks for joining me and I'll be back same time next week where I'll be chatting to Kerry Wilden, founder of Fab After 50 and a true advocate to counter ageism in the workplace. See you then. Mm -hmm.